Professional wrestling is the one true sport. Other sports have their share of intense dramatic moments, but nothing can compare with professional wrestling. Welcome to Wrestling History X, where three friends come together to talk about the stories behind the matches. I'm Matt. I'll stick around. And I am a fighter of the foo. Are you? Welcome to episode 158, Heat Wave 1995. Rage in a cage. Ooh, we're going to cage matches? I mean, uh, it's about time, right? Extreme cage matches? Is that that's a thing? I would definitely say Kinda. that one of them is definitely an extreme cage match. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's like, as long as I don't put Ian and Axel in there, <laughs> I guess I'd prefer them off of the show. If you put them in a cage, maybe they'll have to be forced to do something different. I don't know. I think you may just get the same stuff. Just probably without, Yeah, without the crowd. Yeah. Without the crowd participation. So a few less frying pans. glass and fists probably would happen anyway. Yeah. But this would be the second annual Heat Wave Supercard produced by ECW. It would take place on July 15th, 1995 at the ECW Arena in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania with an attendance of 1,000 people. They're That's all a smaller number than it's been. Uh, yeah. Wasn't it like 1150? It was 1150 last time. <laughs> yeah. I think that they just like, 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 I don't know. If it's full, it's 1,000. A, a uh, if we oversold it, we'll call it 1150. <laughs> well, maybe they, maybe, maybe the cage required them to take out some seats or something. I mean, that's possible. Yeah. Uh, that cage. Not the best thing in the world. I mean, it's a step above chicken wire. It is that. <laughs> for certain. It's a little difficult to uh, to see through, but they had some moments where you could kind of see better. Yeah, yeah. But the big question is, <laughs> we're back in Philadelphia. Was Shane able to find something better than chicken wire for us to chew on ourselves? <laughs> yes. I think I have. I have not officially tasted yet because you know how I like to save that for you know, while I'm talking in a microphone. But yes, we once again for the I, I don't know 158 time. Yeah, we uh, should keep a Philly tally. <laughs> I'm surprised we haven't, but it's too late now. Yeah, we'll have to do the math for next time, or do you just know off the top of your head? Who knows? Trivia it question. Might be a trivia question. <laughs> uh, well, thankfully we're still on the dusty finish, so I don't have to worry about that question yet. And I won't cheat. I won't go back and count them. <laughs> I won't be that guy. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if I could. <laughs> I don't think I have the notes anymore. But yes, we are back in Philly on this little culinary, beverage snacky, whatever-y trip around the, the globe. Um, or less, around the city limits of Philadelphia. Yes. Yeah. City limits possibly stretching from border to border of Pennsylvania itself because... I don't know if there are even that many items to eat in Philadelphia. The number of times that we'll have visited there by the time this podcast is finally completed. But yes, decided to go for a local treat there because we're in Oklahoma and it's getting difficult. So ordinarily I can find whoopie pies pretty much anywhere. But today, because I actually wanted to buy one, I couldn't find them anywhere. But thankfully... Uh, my friends at Nabisco and Oreo uh, have decided to put out these little uh, snacks called Oreo Cakesters, which are oh, cake cookie it's like a substitute. Pie. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a whoopie pie. It's you know, cakey buns with cream filling in the middle. Typically, they're you know about the size of a, an oatmeal cream pie or bigger and. Uh, they're just big and fluffy, normally chocolate with, I don't even know, is this vanilla cream? Is it just white cream? <laughs> it's Oreo it's cream. Well, yeah, this, this one here is Oreo cream. I've never had an actual whoopie pie, though. Are, are they the same flavor I feel like of I cream? Or? Have, but... It's a little bit different. Okay. Yeah. I think Oreo is it's a special secret ingredient mm-hmm. in the cream. Yeah, Oreos are vegan. Did you know that? I did. I did not. They always have been. How about that? 
are official from the very, very start. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, let's uh, try a bite here. Whoopie pies were originated in uh, Pennsylvania. The Amish housewives in Pennsylvania Dutch country uh, made the first whoopie pies, according to my little studies. Yeah, so Shane's first bite of a whoopie pie or a whoopie pie-esque treat. The whoopie whoopie alternative? Wouldn't it be better? They're good, but I need milk. (laughs) uh, It reminds me of, I think it's a Drake's product the devil dog which is like very similar except for it's long it's like a it's a, you know it's just a snack cake it's like drake's is like it's a devil foods cake yeah yeah but uh wouldn't it be cooler if whoopi goldberg created the whoopi pie that would be great that's my or at least had a uh, a line of whoopi pies <laughs> mm-hmm. available not necessarily even a whoopie pie, just a brand of pies by Whoopie that, you know, I'll take a coconut cream pie by Whoopie. That's whoopie what we pie. need out of Whoopie Goldberg. Some, That's right. Some branding. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> just like, yeah, her, her face on just, you know, items at a grocery store. She'll be, she's, yeah, she'll be the female Paul Newman of, <laughs> of like, the dressing aisle. Well, something that would happen right around the same time as Heat Wave, Foo Fighters' debut album would release one week earlier. Oh, Foo. And it's funny that it's like that showing our hand a little bit with this show. Both of our nicknames came from (laughs) the fact from this little tidbit as opposed to um, something from the show. Something from the show. Yes foreshadowing. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I know Shane is a Big Foo Fighters fan. I am. So, I mean, I like them. Yeah. I, I'm not like... This is my favorite album, and there's the first one. And my favorite song, first song of the first album, is my favorite Foo Fighters song. So, what you're saying is that you like Dave Grohl by himself. Uh, I like uh, the second album. the entire album was basically recorded by Dave Grohl. Yeah, himself. yeah. Before old Pat Smear and Taylor Hawkins, and I don't know anybody else's name in the band. But um, the first two albums, I... Uh, go back and listen to I don't I think that as far as popular rock bands go uh, today they're one of the better ones we got because there's not a whole lot of popular rock music and this band stuck around and at least made um, albums that are not embarrassing (laughs) in a world full of embarrassing radio rock bands I'll always give a Foo Fighters album a listen yeah for sure never gonna be like blown away usually because they're just not really my thing, but yeah, they put on an amazing live show. You know, I was a fan of them and already, and then I went and saw their show. The one I went to, it was here in Oklahoma City. It was a makeup show because they actually had to cancel because uh, Dave Grohl got sick, and it was one of the very rare times that they've had to cancel a show. Basically, his doctor forbid him from taking the stage, but. When they did the makeup show, it ended up being close to three hours of them just nonstop. Their opening set lasted almost 45 minutes. It was just song after song after song after song before they even spoke to the audience. Oh, that's the How best. many albums are they up to now? It's like 12 or 13? Uh, really? Something like that. Jesus. I figured it was like more like seven or eight. But the uh, that was the one, was that the one where you had a broken foot? No, that came later. Okay. Yeah. I know uh, some people that went to that show and raved about it and they weren't even like you know they were more in the boat of uh matt and i where they're like yeah like the Foo fighters fine and they're like the show was incredible i'm like i believe it yeah the uh the one i went to they played the first half of the set where they were set up and we had noticed this something hanging overhead for the entire time all of a sudden the thing started to lower down and it was a another stage and they unplugged where they were at walked across oh, that's always cool and yeah the the seats we were at suddenly became front row instead oh, of yeah. being you know all the way across the the venue and that's cool yeah it was it was awesome they, was, they just released their 10th album is it oh, number 10 it's a lot of it's a lot of records yep i mean i was never and that's not including like Lives. Compilations yeah. or live that's just their normal. Studio. I was never a huge Nirvana fan. I mean, I liked Nirvana, but 
I was always a uh, from the the moment Foo Fighters came around, something about them caught my ear. Dave Grohl is the only drummer I can listen or not really I shouldn't say listen to. I can pick out just by hearing. Yeah. Like when that song with Queens of Stone Age came out years ago, I was like, why does this drum sound so familiar? And then I was like, okay, yeah. cool. He that's plays Dave. on that whole album. That's a great album. Yes. That was a band that's that I was... how I was with Tenacious D. I was like, oh, that's Dave Cole drumming. Yeah. <laughs> I was a huge fan of Queens of the Stone Age, uh, specifically in high school. I mean, I still love those first three albums, but yeah, it was uh, listened to by me and my friends quite a bit. We went out of our way to see that band a lot back then. I think what I like most about them, though, is they they all have that life of the party mentality, or I shouldn't say mentality, but persona, you know, easygoing, fun-loving, hilarious, but then they can put on a, a rockin' performance. It's like they, they don't take themselves too seriously. They they will be the first to laugh at themselves or make fun of themselves. I actually heard this really interesting story, which, I mean, you probably have heard, but in his in Dave Grohl's autobiography... He basically admitted that he's partially deaf, but because he plays drums, like literally, he can he can just feel the vibrations and everything, so he yeah. can play through and everything. But that's why they don't use in ear. He doesn't use in ear monitors. Oh yeah, because yeah. I'm sure that in ear monitors probably not going to help his his uh, no. his already already uh, you know fading hearing. So just thought. crank up my monitor. <laughs> Yeah. The video music generation wouldn't have been nearly as fun without I mean, some of the food videos. Yeah, Big Me and um, Everlong. Everlong are two really great videos. Him play there goes my him playing the devil in uh, uh, tribute for Tenacious D. Ah, uh, yes. That was always one of my favorites. Ah, uh, Dave. Well, let's see if Heatwave can be one of our favorites. It can try. We're open-minded. We're very open-minded. <laughs> we get the name, date, and location of the show before we see Bill Alfonso rolling into the ring, taking the mic from the ring announcer. He starts yelling at the crowd, griping about something, before getting security to kick somebody out. But everything he's saying is pretty much indiscernible. I mean, okay, I'm glad it wasn't just mine. I thought my streaming was fucking up or something because no, no, everything no. sounded bar- this bar- is a bar- horrible bar- tape transfer for audio <laughs> <laughs> and yeah it's also one of those how many ECW shows have we watched that looked great <laughs> they just don't have quite the equipment Todd Gordon then comes out to get in Fonzie's face saying he wants to kick his ass Gordon takes his jacket off and gets ready for a fight but Bill just keeps jabbering away on the mic Alfonso says he's going to give a 10 count and starts counting as the crowd begins to chant for 911. All of a sudden, Todd attacks Fonzie with a clothesline, but a bunch of wrestlers then run down to separate the two men. Is that what that was, a clothesline? <laughs> I'm, just, mean, I'm just throwing some shade, Bill Todd. Clothesline, a little tackle. Mm-hmm. Three-point stance. <laughs> and I like that ECW has their mid-carter job squad, whatever, that they send out to... Yeah. Bust things up. Dino Sendoff, Donnie <laughs> Allen. Yeah, I was going to say, Donnie Allen's the one that comes to mind immediately. The, what was the dude's name? Uh, Tony Stetson, the Broad Street mm, Bully. Broad Street Bully, that's what it was, yeah. Bill then takes the mic back and says Gordon has made the biggest mistake of his life. And as of right now, your commissioner is suspended. <gasps> what do we do without Todd Gordon? Oh, no. Fonzie then slaps Todd before it fades to black. But when we come back, we go straight to our first match. Mikey Whipwreck versus Stormin Mike Norman. Stormin Mike Norman. Yep. See? Look, you had a perfect opportunity right there. (laughs) I could have just been Stormin Mike Norman. (laughs) Stormin Mike Temple. So Norman hits a running clothesline as the ref is still checking on Mikey's boots and continues the punishment with chops and a running back elbow before missing a clothesline into a corner, allowing Whipwreck to hit a pair of arm drags and a body slam to send Stormin' Norman to the floor. Mikey follows out with a springboard senton onto Norman before rolling him back into the ring, where Whipwreck misses a dropkick that stops his momentum. Stormin' Norman takes control with right hands, but an Irish whip sends Norman to the corner, 
where he attempts to leap up and over a charging Mikey, only for him to not be able to leap that high. So Whipwreck helps him transition it into a head scissors to take them both out of the ring, which was kind of a funny spot. Yeah. Like Norman just fucked up, and Mikey's like, oh, I can work with this. Yeah, my Mikey wrote Whipwreck's been wrestling for six months on an upward trajectory, and uh, he's leading the match for Storm Mike Norman just to fuck it up. Is that where the crowd really turns on uh, Old Storman with the? I mean, if they weren't you already, fucked up, you fucked up. Yes. Yeah, uh-huh. I think yeah, they say you you, you still, still suck, suck dick. dick. Yeah. yeah. It's like, where? Yeah. Don't don't worry, guys. We're in Philadelphia. Brotherly love. Storman Norman follows with a double axe handle off the apron, and the crowd starts chanting something that causes him to challenge a fan to a fight inside the ring <laughs> and I assume this is the you still sucked it <laughs> yeah <Yes>. probably <laughs> Norman then runs Mikey into a ring post before continuing to argue with the fans around ringside as Whipwreck recovers inside the ring not even worthy of a posted nope Mikey slides out of the ring chasing Storm and Norman down the aisle to run him into a guardrail and attempts to bring him back to the ring only for Norman to overpower Whipwreck sending him t- into the apron Back into the ring they go, where Storm and Norman continues to be called an asshole by the crowd. So he keeps up the attack with right hands and a drop kick, before just tossing Mikey out to the floor. I think that was where... Why the hell am I suddenly blanking on his name? <laughs> Mikey Whipwreck? No. Some guy? The, the, the hat the guy. Answer. Oh, Joey Styles. Joey Styles, God. Oh my God. How yeah. could you forget Joey Styles? I don't know. I, all I was thinking was Tommy Dreamer. It's like, uh, no, it's not Tommy Dreamer. I'm sure they're cl- close personal friends. Um... Yeah, that's where he was saying something about the fans calling out for Eric Bischoff or something like that. Oh, yeah. They love to throw shade. Joey's good at it. Norman follows out with a tope suicida, then brings Whipwreck back into the ring with a slingshot, sending Mikey to a corner, charging in after, only to run into a boot, allowing Whipwreck to come off the top with a Franken-Mikey for the pin and And the the win. win. Well, we love Mikey Whipwreck. Yes. They gave this Norman dude way too much offense for this. Yes. I know, seriously. Like, there should have been like six minutes. I know he's probably a little bigger than. He's not like. He's not huge. No. But mm-hmm. uh, he's bigger than Mikey Whipwreck. But I think just about everybody, like, Luna's bigger than Mikey Whipwreck. <laughs> so we go to our second match Broad Street Bully and Don E. Allen versus Raven and Stevie Richards with Beulah McGillicuddy for the ECW World Tag Team Championships. How did Donnie Allen and Broad Street Bully get this wonderful opportunity? Because Given a fighting chance to everyone. Yeah. Sometimes, you know... He used to show up. Yeah. More than $45. Yes. Sometimes your only other popular tag team is uh, busy with the gangsters. So Stevie's admirer is at ringside as well, as the match gets going, with Stevie slugging away on the bully. But Broad Street Bully no-sells, drops the gloves, and starts to work over Richards, hitting a leaping clothesline. Alan looks to keep up the attack, sending Stevie to the ropes and going for a leapfrog, only for Richards to just hit a clothesline of his own to take control. Stevie follows up with a drop kick before tagging in Raven, who drops Donnie with a DDT. Richards has left the apron at this point and starts to make out with his admirer. Richards likes girls, as Joey exclaims. Who'd have thunk it? Raven is continuing in the ring, hitting a DDT on the bully, but then rolls out of the ring to break up the makeout sesh, followed by Beulah shoving the admirer, leading us to a catfight into the crowd. Catfight? This is like... Kind of our first cat fight. I know some early ECW had a few women who we couldn't even find who they were, <laughs> like have some matches or whatever. But this is like your like this is a straight up like when you think of cat fights, like oh girls in pencil like dresses um, rolling around, <laughs> yeah, cramped hair. Uh huh. All of a sudden the bell rings and the official announcement is a countout. So Broad Street Bully and Donnie Allen are your winners. Oh. But you can't win the belts. Oh. On account of it. Right. Post-match, security is trying to break up the girl fight 
while Raven and Richard get back in the ring to beat up our winners with multiple Stevie kicks. All of a sudden, the Pitbulls roll into the ring to brawl. There's a tag team we could have... You can't have the Pitbulls not not beat these guys up. Pitbulls are great. Followed by the Dudley Brothers coming out as well to help the nest. Tommy Dreamer then makes his way in to brawl with Raven as well. And they all start brawling around ringside. Down the aisle where Pitbulls hit clotheslines on Dudley Dudley and Richards. We then cut to a shot of the empty ring, where Broad Street Bully has a mic at ringside, yelling about wanting a rematch. So that brings Raven and Stevie back down, where they just beat up our two jobbers again, (laughs) including hitting them with the title belts and DDTs. The Pitbulls, Dudleys, and Dreamer then make their way back to the ring for more brawling. And number two is about to hit Dudley Dudley with a chair when Big Dick grabs the chair away to smash number two over the head. Tommy hits a DDT on Raven while the admirer has jumped on the back of number one who was beating on Stevie. It seems like they just came up with this a good ten minutes before they went out. It's possible. <laughs> yep. Beulah then jumps in the ring for more catfight while Dreamer is breaking Raven's fingers. So you're telling me everything has happened twice so far. Big Dick Dudley is then standing in the ring, staring at Tommy, who throws a massive punch, only for Big Dick to no-sell and lay out Dreamer with one punch of his own. Yeah, Tommy went down. (laughs) Officials finally come down, and they're able to calm everybody down to get Raven and his nest to the back. So the nest has grown in size. Well, instead of the pit bulls, now it's the Dudleys. Dudleys, yeah. So I guess they. I guess yeah, it's just a, a, a swap. Yeah. If you it's will. Messy, because I mean, then you got Beulah and the cat fight, <laughs> and you got the pit bulls and uh-huh. the Dudleys, and yeah. The only thing we didn't have was Luna. She's got she's got bigger and better things to do. That's right. So we go to our third match: Big Molly Valpuccio versus the Shaw. Hack Myers. Can I just say, this is... I remember I texted Matt about this when I was watching this show. Or maybe... Yeah, but this is the same exact match. Mm-hmm. Do you remember mm-hmm. this other match we watched on the last ECW show? Yep. And it was exactly the same, except for this one might be longer. Maybe. One of them's longer than it the other. It feels like it. But it's, this, it's like... The and same then, exact match. It was, yeah, it was very predictable to the point that... I think they forgot that they were working the same city. Yeah, to the point that, like, Joey even does, like, some, like, says some of the same exact lines. See, that's what I was trying to remember. Was it Hackmeyer's in the yeah. last match? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah it was... It was yeah, hardcore heaven. Yeah. It, this match is exactly the same. One of them yeah. just has a bit of a longer, like, I think intro. it's the hardcore heaven Puccio is messing with the crowd a little bit longer. Yeah. But I, it, I thought that I was, like, not deja vu, but I thought that somehow, like, they cut a match f- from a different show, from, like, another show into this, because it was so similar. And I was like, I was like, yeah, it was freaking me out. And I was like, no, they just ran it back and recorded it twice. Maybe they just forgot when they could have just had it. I swear I could do better. I swear. <laughs> I swear I could do this poorly put together match better. And on that note... So the two men exchange words, <laughs> followed by Big Molly messing with the crowd. Hack says he's going to slam Val and attempts to, but his back can't handle the weight, allowing Puccio to take control with four arms to the back. The Shaw starts unloading with shots and a clothesline to take the shot. big man down, but a reversed Irish whip leads to multiple avalanche splashes from Big Molly in the corner. I can see it, see it all now. Puccio power slams Myers down, but doesn't make a cover, instead hitting a splash in the middle of the ring. Val goes for an elbow drop, but Hack moves out of the way, only to roll back with an arm on top of Big Molly, who's down. For the pin! And And the the win! Post-match, Puccio hits two more splashes in the middle of the ring, before rolling out. And getting his arm stuck... Exactly the same way he did the last time. <laughs> mm. He, uh, yeah. Uh, cool. Yep. 
On to our fourth match. (laughs) Raven and the Dudley brothers of Dudley Dudley and Snot Dudley with Stevie Richards, Beulah, and Big Dick Dudley versus Tommy Dreamer and the Pitbulls of number one and number two with Luna Vachon. There she is. Oh, I mean, you know, everybody's showing up a few times. So Raven's hand is all bandaged up. Because, you know, his fingers were broken. Mm-hmm. You gotta have some continuity. But he grabs a chair from the crowd, waiting on Tommy to make his entrance. Raven then charges at Dreamer, nailing him with a chair, and everybody is brawling at the entrance and down to the ring, where Raven delivers a DDT to Tommy, while number one works over Snot, hitting a back body drop and a clothesline that takes them both over to the floor. Number one with a chair shot across the back while Dreamer has rolled Raven back into the ring, holding him for a testicular claw from Luna. She likes grabbing those nuts. Yes, she do. A handful. Tommy with a snap suplex and an elbow drop onto Raven before tossing him to the floor while Vashon is stalking after Stevie. Number two and Dudley Dudley make their way into the ring for the pit bull to hit a drop kick to send Dudley back out to the floor where number two follows out with a top rope double axe handle. Snot and number one are now in the ring, where the Dudley misses a clothesline, but gets sent out to the floor. When Bill Alfonso makes his way out to the ring, taking the mic to demand that order be restored. He, he wants them. He wants an actual tag match, guys. This whole court's out of order. This whole bingo hall's out of order. But everybody just continues to brawl. With Luna hitting Raven with a plastic dinosaur. Hell yeah. What's with the plastic dinosaurs? I know this one wasn't the T-Rex from Toy Story, but we have seen that one once, and I know we've seen at least a plastic dinosaur once before. Yeah, I mean... You just show up with whatever you got. This was the year of Toy Story, though, so... Yeah. Who knows? Yeah, bring bring whatever's in uh, in your... You're gonna have a throwback episode or something where... Somebody comes out yeah. as a dinosaur. Maybe it was Luchasaurus as a baby. It could be. <laughs> there you go. See? Raven, Sorry, he got so large. <laughs> Raven goes after Luna, only for number one to be there to stop him, and begins to stomp away on Raven. Fonzie is still trying to get everyone to calm down, with Joey saying, if it wasn't out of hand, we'd be family entertainment. <laughs> I mean, yep. yeah, I guess. It then cuts forward into the match, and it looks like he finally got everyone to settle down because we have an actual tag match happening. As the Pitbulls knock Raven out of the ring before giving the Dudleys a double noggin knocker, followed by a clothesline that sends the brothers out to the floor. Number two rolls Stevie into the ring, where the Pitbulls deliver a super bomb to him. The Admirer then jumps in the ring to give mouth-to-mouth to Richards, when Beulah jumps in to attack her for another cat fight. Snot rolls into the ring, only to be met by number one, but he recovers to set number two up on the top for a superplex. But number two fights back to front suplex Snot down to the mat. Number one then lifts Snot up for another super bomb, with number two making the cover for the pin and, and the win. win. How upset would you have been if Lil Snot covered one of the pit bulls? Unacceptable. Pit bulls have like slowly kind of been like one of my. They're always solid. They seem like real badasses. Yeah. I like the pit bulls. They have definitely grown on me since we started. All right, now I gotta look a couple pages ahead to see if we have Matt's famous line of, and this was the last time we saw them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Every time I'm like, you know who I love? The Matt's like, and we'll never see him again. Yep. <laughs> I would do that to you guys. <laughs> Yet. Yet. <sighs> I don't think I have any of those notes this week. That's good. That's good. <laughs> you're, you're safe. You're I, safe need the, I need the pit bulls around. So we go to our fifth match. Taz and Eddie Guerrero okay. with Paul E. Dangerously versus Two Cold Scorpio and Dean Malenko. Uh, the first okay. thing I, I, I jotted down when I saw this these names uttered, maybe we'll get a wrestling match. By maybe, I mean, like, how are we not going to get a wrestling match? Hmm. So this match cuts forward, <laughs> basically, after every big move. Yep. Mm-hmm. And that's how we lose a wrestling match. Yeah. 
You're gonna, if you're gonna cut, you got like the best workers in your company. <laughs> so the human suplex machine and two cold start us off, where Taz hits a shoulder block to send Scorpio to the floor. Eddie and Malenko are now in the ring when the two trade arm bars with athletic reversals. When Guerrero hits a Uranagi and a slingshot somersault senton. That's beautiful. Dean and the human suplex machine are matching up with Malenko drop kicking Taz's knee, allowing his team to work over the human suplex machine. As Two Cold comes in with headbutts, clotheslines, and wrenching on the knee with a STF, only for Taz to escape to hit a Northern Light suplex. Scorpio now hits a power bomb on the human suplex machine, following it up with a top rope flying splash, but he doesn't make a cover, instead tagging in Dean to work the knee some more. Taz is sent to the ropes, but Malenko telegraphs the back body drop, allowing the human suplex machine to, to kick him and make a tag, where Eddie comes in to hit a hip toss, arm drag, and a tilt-a-whirl side slam for a two count. I mean, you love to see it. Guerrero and Dean fight over a suplex, with Eddie getting the advantage to hit a brain buster, followed by a frog splash, for the pin, and no, Malenko kicks out. I mean, that's a pretty great, like, combo there. Brain buster, frog splash. Yep, and then you get the, and it flashes forward. <laughs> Guerrero then attempts a powerbomb to Too Cold, only for Scorpio to flip out of it and delivering a powerbomb of his own for a two count. Grow comes off the ropes to hit a tilt-a-whirl hurricanrana for a near fall on Too Cold. Taz is then tagged in to deliver a clothesline before hoisting Scorpio up onto his shoulders, followed by Eddie flying off the top rope with a missile dropkick. <laughs> Dean then lifts Guerrero up into a vertical suplex when Too Cold comes off the top rope with a crossbody. Very Rocker-esque. Yes. Yeah. For a two-count. <laughs> Rocker-esque, and it's like, oh, I, haven't, I feel like I haven't seen that in a while. That's a, that's a fun spot. Uh, where you at, Marty? Malenko then sends Eddie to the ropes, coming back with a wheelbarrow victory roll, only for Scorpio to make the save. Marty wishes he knew where he was. <laughs> two Cold comes off the top rope with a moonsault onto the human suplex machine for a near fall, then follows up with a clothesline that sends Taz... Out to the floor. Paul Lee comes over to check on the human suplex machine. That's but Scorpio then leaps over the ropes with a plancha landing on dangerously. What the fuck is up with that? I know. Paul Lee <laughs> taking a bump. Like of all the like he's probably the manager that's taken the least amount of bumps yeah. in all of recorded wrestling history. Like he barely let Medusa hit, you know, <laughs> put a hand on him and now he's just gonna let two cold Fall on top of him. Yeah, yeah. Bobby took way too many bumps back in the day. Corny broke his entire ass. Like, Polly. <laughs> this is probably one of ten bumps he took in his career. Dean then hits an elbow from the apron onto Taz, but he is then sent into the guardrail by the human suplex machine. Guerrero then leaps up to the top turnbuckle, but he slips as he leaps out to the floor, so he lands on his knee. Hmm. Too Cold looks to follow out after them when Paul E. climbs up and hits him with his phone, knocking Scorpio back into the ring as 911's music hits. I mean, that was his cue. When he hit him with the phone, it hit the numbers 911, and he answered the call. Nice. <laughs> but it was all a distraction as the human suplex machine grabs Scorpio, hitting a Tazplex for the pin. And, and the, the win. win. But... Alfonso runs down to restart the match due to Dangerous Lee's interference. Oh, damn. Paul E. shoves Fonzie, and the two men start arguing in a corner. While Too Cold and Malenko attack the human suplex machine and Eddie. Scorpio hits a super kick on Taz, while Dean delivers a Tiger Driver to Guerrero leading to Alfonso making the double count for the pin and, and the win. win. Post-match, Dangerously and Fonzie continue to trade words, and we still can't understand exactly what they're saying because horrible audio. All of a sudden, ECW's videographer, Rob Feinstein, is then in the ring, with Paul E. giving him the mic where he says something about home video. 
Dangerous. I've got them in my trunk. After the show, if you need a tape, you know, it'll be it'll be $8, and uh, I, maybe I have some other stuff. Who knows? Dangerously gets in Feinstein's face, shoving him. Sarab shoves back and throws a right hand before stomping on Paul E. All of a sudden, 911 then hits the ring and looks for the double choke slam. But Fonzie just shoves Fonstein in front of him before taking off to the back. So Rob is the only one that gets slammed today. Uh, yeah, it's like we're running out of people to choke slam. With that, we have the videographer. A guy that's just like duping tapes in his apartment. Oh, old Rob Feinstein. You'll hear more about him down the line. Oh, will I? Well, I don't know. Possibly. He's, he's got some controversy to him he's, in he's, his Ring of Honor days. Oh, okay. I was like, should I have looked this guy up? <laughs> yeah, it's like, I just assumed he was a nobody. He Did basically he ended up porno? on uh, To Catch Predator. Oh, yeesh. Well. Yeah. Went to hang out with a 14-year-old boy. Mm. Well, don't, guys out there listening, <laughs> don't do that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, oh, he, was, he was RF Video's owner. He was what? Rob Feinstein. He was RF. 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 Yeah. yeah, there we go. He's a really creative guy. <laughs> yeah, maybe but, he no, got all I his ideas. Name, I was looking at him like, is that the dude? I can't remember for sure. Yeah. And I had to look him up. Like, oh yeah, that's him. I remember the. Um, hopefully, he wasn't making videos with the fourteen-year-olds. No, I hope not. Lord willing. That's definitely a library I don't want. Yeah, yeah, I feel bad even making the... I don't know if it was even a joke. <laughs> in, in, insinuation. We then go to our sixth match. The Sandman with Woman versus Axel Rotten for the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. We got a cigarette. We got a woman. We got a cane. We got a beer. We got about eight minutes to kill as Sandman comes to the ring. And he comes out first. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Nope, just need a cigarette. <laughs> right. He needs time. He needs time to <laughs> soak up. Yeah, soak up all it's the that Undertaker entrance. Eight minute entrance, but no, let's let's cut down that uh, that last match with right. no shit. Taz and Guerrero and Malenko and Too Cold because Taz needs a full cigarette break on camera. I mean, you or know, at Taz, least yeah, Sandman. The, the crowd's partying to Metallica, whereas we're getting. You know, some weird gen- generic yeah <laughs> like generic rock guitar three because i kept watching the crowd too I'm like are they singing along with what should be metallica or i is think this that, an I, they even like mess with the audio so you can't even like really hear them because it's like exit why it's like everybody you would be it would be so noticeable so sandman attacks from behind with a clothesline whipping rotten from corner to corner before using the kendo stick several times axel rolls to the floor to regroup Heading to the locker room, only to return with his barbed wire baseball bat, which sends Sandman running. Rotten takes the mic, basically saying, if you want to use weapons, we can use weapons. Asking Sandman if he's actually hardcore. It's a Kane versus Bat match. Uh, Michael Kane versus... The Batman? Yeah, what's his name? Christian Bale? (laughs) Axel begins to land shots with the barbed wire baseball bat, but a clothesline and an elbow drop from the Sandman breaks the momentum. What the fuck is up with that barbed wire baseball bat that didn't look it looked like the barbed wire was like dipped in plastic or something? Oh, maybe it was just because it was a horrible video and it it just didn't look like barbed wire. It was <laughs> yeah, like yeah. green and <laughs> it was just it was rusty from all the blood <laughs> that they didn't wash off of it. I love that he calls him a beer guzzling POS, and we could call him just like a bleeding stuck pig. <laughs> it's like yeah, I mean, hey man, you have you're not the guy to be uh, out here in, insulting people. <laughs> no, nope. Sandman unravels some of the barbed wire so that he can choke Rotten with it before tossing him to the floor and then over a guardrail into the crowd. Yeah, that did make me cringe, just because <laughs> even though it didn't look like good barbed wire, it was the fact that it was still wrapped around him and he just got thrown over the guardrail. Yeah, like, I was oh, waiting for. Yeah. It's it's still a wire, even if they even if they like you know pinched or dulled the barbs or whatever. It's like ugh, still yeah. da- still dangerous. Obviously, <laughs> back at ringside, Sandman hits a not so rubber band slam before more choking with barbed wire, followed by back dropping Axel into the crowd once more. Sandman rolls back into the ring to grab his kendo stick 
only to then leap over the top rope <gasps> with a shot to Rotten's head. I thought he was going to hit somebody in the crowd. But I know. <laughs> Every time Sandman goes, like, aerial, it's absolutely terrifying because you just expect he just almost hurts himself every time it's crazy back inside the ring the sandman wraps all of the barbed wire around axel before hitting a slingshot somersault senton really intelligent yeah totally maybe he had one too many buds budweiser's before the match rotten then ducks a charging sandman and starts to fire up tying up the Sandman in a corner with the barbed wire. Woman then makes her way into the ring with a kendo shot across the head of Axel. But Rotten no-sells it, stealing the cane away from her. And for the first time probably in ECW history, Woman doesn't get hit, (laughs) but instead turns to nail Sandman with the stick instead. Sandman breaks free from the corner to hit a clothesline. Climbing up to the top for a sloppy-looking rocker dropper, <laughs> stumbling on top for the pin, and, and the, the win. win. Worst leg drop ever. Everyone's yeah. pulling out the rockers moves today. Yeah. Not great, but I mean they're not. Yeah, they're not doing it well. But I guess you know maybe a, maybe they are wrestling fans. <laughs> Maybe some of them are actually wrestling fans. Hey Vince, look, I can do this move that Sean did. Mm-hmm. Hey Vince, look. Yeah, uh, no. Vince McMahon has never even heard of the Sandman, and if somebody showed him a photo, he probably said, "Get that out of my he face!" He heard pal. of ECW for the first time at King of the Ring '95. Oh yeah, because they started chanting it during mm, the there you uh, go. King of the Ring finals. Yeah. That was when he first heard of him. And Bruce Pritchard went, ran out there to do crowd controls. Like, shut, shut up, shut up. <laughs> so we go to our seventh match. Stevie Richards versus Luna Vachon in a cage match. I mean, come on. This is what we're all here for? Doesn't this sound great? So Stevie is scared to get into this cage, but he finally musters up the courage. Oh. He does a great job of being a wiener. Good job there, Super Stevie. In this cage, it's your basic like yard fence. Think of your think of your middle school like playground, and or like elementary school playground, and then think of the fence that was around it. Yeah, it's that. Ours was a whole lot bigger than this. Oh, really? It's basically, <laughs> and basically, it's four panels on each side, and it just sits on top of the apron, and it's about seven feet tall. Yeah, it's it's like the similar like. The way that it sits on the ring is similar to like the classic blue cage, except yeah. for uh, the classic blue cage is great and uh, you can see through it because it's big and you know it's steel and heavy. I've missed the blue cage. Yeah. Uh, but this is ECW style. It this looks is, like an episode call, of Cops. This is them calling the the fence yard down the street and going, mm-hmm. "Hey, you got some panels for like." Cheap. Yeah, can I get uh, like four 16 by 16s and um, uh, some zip ties, please? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, Sean starts to chase after Richards inside the ring, finally getting hold of him to throw him into the cage multiple times. Double leg drop, more throws into the cage that bust open Stevie, followed by a bulldog, a swinging neckbreaker, and a springboard pump splash. And don't we, don't we just love her? That only gets a two count as Luna pulls Richards off the mat. Stevie begins the fight back to hit a reverse atomic drop, but misses a drop kick, allowing Vashon to deliver an elbow drop, several snapmares, before applying a chin lock. Richards with a rake of the eyes escape to escape, then hits a power bomb and throws her into the cage to bust her open. Ah, double double blade. When Luna does a chin lock, it's like, that's how everybody should be doing that. You gotta sell that. Be mean. Be angry. Stevie starts working the legs, but a low blow and a shot to the gut allow Luna to hit a DDT for a near fall. Richards hits another powerbomb for a two count, followed by a swing neckbreaker and a body slam, where Stevie then heads to the top of the cage for a splash, but Vashon gets a boot up into the jaw. Luna then hits another swinging netbreaker and climbs to the top rope, coming off with a splash. 
big old splash. Where she almost jumps too far. Yeah, it's a big splash. <laughs> for a two count. Bashan then locks on the testicular claw for the submission and, and the win. win. I love that she pulls him up again just to do the testicular claw. It's like, what a nice touch. First intergender cage match of all time, I think they say. I think so. I, I believe them. Who knows? Yeah. I love, I love this. Post-match, Luna starts biting Stevie's cut before climbing to the top rope. While the Dudleys, Pitbulls, Raven, and Dreamer have made their way to ringside to brawl some more. Raven makes his way into the cage and puts a chain around the door while Richards low blows Vashon. The Pitbulls keep trying to climb the cage, but Raven continuously kicks them off before DDTing Luna. The Pitbulls are finally able to break the door open to crawl in to check on Vashon but they just get attacked by Raven. Tommy then makes his way into the ring to throw Stevie into the cage before DDTing Raven. The Pitbulls get Luna to safety, while Dreamer continues to throw Richards around the cage before slamming the cage door on the hurt hand of Raven. Breaking some more fingers. Yeah, I know, because they slam, right before Tommy gets in, they slam the cage on his hand, and then he's like, oh, all right. We got some continuity, they're doing some things. Tommy then tosses Stevie out of the cage, so it's just him and Raven. Dreamer then DDTs Raven onto a chair and throws him into the cage several times before bringing out a pair of handcuffs to tie Raven up to the cage. Tommy then takes a chair to hit what is known as the chair shot heard round the world. Oh yeah, the mo- a nasty unprotected headshot. Ugh. Before going out to celebrate with the crowd... As they chant, E.C. Dub, E.C. I love that he does that disgusting chair shot and then mocks him. <laughs> so we go to our eighth match. Hey guys, the cage is still up. If there's a cage, we shall rage. Mm-hmm. Public Enemy of Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge versus the Gangsters of New Jack and Mustafa Saeed in a cage match. The gangsters get a nice pop. Yeah, they do. They over, they are over immediately, and they are looking good in like mm. one of the, that nineties style. Is tired of Public Enemy as the rest of us? I, I don't think they are. I think they love Public <laughs> Enemy. They're just glad to see somebody that will also do wild shit. Plus, the gangsters look cool. He's like you know they look mean wearing like a Raiders jacket and like a sick nineties style Snoop Dogg T shirt where it has like ten pictures of Snoop Dogg on it. It was great. Yeah, I don't such, want one of those. Yeah, it's such a great design for a t-shirt. So there's also all kinds of weapons littering the inside of the cage. Screen doors. And... There, there's a little bit of everything. <laughs> you name it, it possibly was inside this cage. New Jack takes the mic. We didn't come up in here to make friends, to sign autographs, to kiss no babies. You think you want some more? You're about to take the ass whooping of your lives. Love you, Jack. And as soon as the bell hits, Rock hits Mustafa with a frying pan and sends him into the cage. While New Jack is using a billy club on Johnny until Rocco hits him with the frying pan as well and running him into the cage. We get baking sheet shots from Grunge on New Jack. Eye rakes and chokes from Rock on Saeed. Johnny is even stabbing New Jack with a screwdriver. Stabbing. That's the most, like, yeah. That's a, I didn't know that was a a thing you could do in wrestling. Stab. (laughs) Rocco is now using the baking sheet and the billy club on Mustafa. We get chair and baseball bat shots from Grunge on New Jack. Mustafa then sends Rock into the cage and starts stomping on him. But a low blow and a shot from the baseball bat by Johnny stops him. Rocco is sent into the cage again by Saeed, while Grunge is using the frying pan on New Jack, only to be stopped by a chair shot from Mustafa, who also uses it on Rock. So if you haven't figured it out, it's just a bunch of plunder. This is exactly the same point in my notes where I was like, what do I even write? Because they are just hitting each other 
with um, stuff, and I can't see them. With yeah, with with stuff. <laughs> so it's just like yeah, I hit you with some stuff. You hit me with this some stuff. This was about I the, the point that stuff. I almost went, and they just kept hitting each other with things, mm-hmm. and we'll wait five minutes. You know to... what a cage match should be? Two people with a grudge. At least one of them bleeds. I'm even okay with a tag match. It's just when you got all that other stuff in there in a cage that's already hard to see in, it yeah. makes it all really hard to see because they're all just going. And there's so much one area to stuff the next. in there. Yeah, <clears throat> we don't have a referee. Yeah. So Johnny is then thrown into the cage before the gangsters both clothesline Public Enemy down to the mat. Rock starts to climb the cage to escape, only for Saeed to stop him. But Rocco is handed. Another frying pan, which he promptly uses to knock Mustafa down to the mat. Dan, he went at him like horror movie style. I'm bashing your fucking head in <laughs> with this frying pan. Bam, 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 bam. Oh, yeah. The, the gangsters are scary. <laughs> New Jack sets a chair up in the corner to sing grunge into before using a frying pan on him as well. Saeed with a low blow on rock before hitting a power slam for a two count. Followed by a knee drop attempt only for Rocco to move. Rocco then grabs a screened window and uses it over the head of Mustafa before starting to climb over the cage. But he is stopped by New Jack, followed by being crotched across the top rope by Saeed. New Jack is then DDT'd by Johnny after some frying pan shots while Mustafa is low-blowed and hit with a cookie sheet and a baseball bat by Rocco. Grunge is whipping New Jack with a belt, but Saeed's back up to stop him only for Rock to grab a tailpipe to use across the head of New Jack and the balls of Mustafa. Screen door versus tailpipe match. More plunder usage from both teams until Saeed hits a vertical suplex on Johnny for a two count. Another low blow on Mustafa from Grunge, while New Jack is choking away on Rocco. When in doubt, hit him in the nuts. Public Enemy sends Saeed into the cage before attempting the drive-by on New Jack only for him to roll out of the way. Back to the weapons and tosses into the cage, when Rocco climbs up to the top, coming off with a senton onto Mustafa, who's held by grunge. But Saeed moves in time, causing public enemy to crash into each other. Mustafa then crawls over to, his, to a corner where he had set his jacket down earlier in the match. Is it a loaded jacket? He's digging for something out of one of the pockets, while New Jack continues to be beaten with chair shots from Rock. Rock then calls for some tables to be brought into the ring. So some people at ringside, like, open the cage door and, like, slide slide a few tables into the ring. I don't know where you're going to put these. (laughs) You're pretty stuffed at the moment. But, hey. Grunge then sets them up on top of each other. So we got the double table. Public Enemy then places New Jack onto the tables before Rocco heads to the top of the cage, coming off with a moonsault to put him through the table. Scary. But Saeed then runs over and sprays something into Grunge's eyes, running him into the cage before rolling him up for the pin and And the the win. I wonder if it was, oh, what's the product from Coming to America? Jerry Curl? The Jerry, yeah, it's like, soul it's glow? Soul Glow. Soul Glow. Splayed some Soul Glow in his eyes. Which, I mean, New Jack's bald. Mustafa's got a little hair, right? Yeah. Yeah. Joey says his goodbyes while Public Enemy writhes in pain inside the cage, bringing the medics out to help before it fades to black. Nice. We got a stretcher job. We did indeed I mean, get a stretcher job. In a... In a promotion where most matches should end with a stretcher job. We finally got it, and it went to the gangsters. So, you know, building, building them up, making them scary as if they already weren't scary. Blinding old Johnny Grunge. Ugh. It's about Poor time. Guy. Rocco wasn't going to take the spray. He's the, he's the, the cash cow of the team. <laughs> so I ask you gentlemen, what are your overall thoughts of Heat Wave 95? I love Luna, and I think Stevie Richards is a great character, and he does it well. And I think it's a shame when the true talents get cut for time. Yes. Mikey made the beginning of the show a lot of fun. 
and I had a partial whoopie pie thing. <laughs> yeah, the show. Ugh. Ugh. It's not like it's not like incredibly hard to watch. It's just a shame that it has so few highs, even though there's some very memorable things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like the I mean the one good the match shot. the one good match gets clipped to hell. Mm-hmm. The only other thing really on this show to watch is is the chair shot her around the world because it's such a iconic moment in it's ECW really gross, history. Yeah. I mean, I it, love the Luna Stevie match. I don't know if you can get sent Raven over the edge. Yeah, <laughs> but we're basically getting the same stuff from ECW over and over again. We finally got a match that was not L- literally rock. even. It, was, it wasn't a double rock. The match. exact same match. Yes, at times. I'm going to say, there's nothing great on this show, but I was not bored watching it. it yeah, it moves pretty quick. It's yeah, not like... I wasn't bored. I was more just frustrated by it. Yeah, it's like if somebody gave you like like popcorn for dinner. It's like, can't I... You eat the popcorn at the movie and you can eat... I get some powdered cheese yeah, or like, something? Yeah, or just like, where's the where's the protein? Where's the protein? Yeah. It, it was popcorn without butter or salt mm. or... Powdered cheese or caramel. It was just, just plain old ass popcorn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just yeah. plain old ECW popcorn. Nineties healthy mom snack. You had popcorn your shot. You had your happy, fun Mikey Whipwreck moment. You had you know a couple minutes of wrestling that couple were cat trimmed down. You had the repeat of what's this big? Lucio uh, and Myers. Yeah. and Myers. What if the next? Uh, ECW show has that match a third time. Uh, we we had, may riot. <laughs> we practically had the three matches tonight of Raven, Stevie, Tommy, Pitbulls, Dudleys. Am I leaving somebody out? I mean, Luna popped in there for yeah, a Stevie couple and of Luna, them. a bunch. Can't forget yeah. Beulah and Beulah the, and the admirer. the admirer. Yeah, hottie number one. Yeah, yeah. There, there was there was a little bit too much of. All of that. Yeah, yeah, it's like, oh, it would be more impactful if you did it yeah. more intelligently and once, uh, as segment, opposed to doing it every other segment yeah, the whole show. One segment would have been good, even a, a little throwback later on in the show, but when you have it at the beginning, in the middle, and then at the end, yeah, I'm, I'm done. Yeah, one segment with some heat, and then the chair shot at the <clears> end <throat> would have definitely cleaned it up. Good, Where, where's the smart marks at? All right, fuck you. I think it's time we smart it up. So what are some of the best moments of the show? New Jack on the mic. That was good. It was like one of the few things that you actually understand on the mic the yep. entire show. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, if he, yeah, New Jack can project. You don't, you don't have to question what he's saying. He's, he's loud and clear. I mean, the chair shot heard around the world. I mean, there's a reason why it's, yeah. it's called that. You had that. Because it's awful. Yeah. The first intergender cage match. Yeah. Which I still cool. gonna say I'll say it a third time. Was a very big fan and very intrigued by it, and I found it to be compelling and fun. Um, I mean we had a a few minutes of wrestling in the fast forward clipped here super edited tag team match with Yeah, I think the match was twenty minutes in like in real time. In real time yeah. and we got about like eight minutes of it. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we literally got all the, just the big spots, which... Are suplexes and sentons and yeah. flips and drop kicks. Which is always fun to see these guys do, but we'd like to see all the extra stuff yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. It's like I need... What makes yeah. a wrestling I'd like match. to see a couple more Eddie and Scorpio, like, catch wrestling, like, flip arm twists and trades. Exactly. I like that stuff. Who would have thought I liked wrestling stuff? Who... Indeed. <laughs> How about most disappointing? The super edited down tag team match and the fact that we had that edited down tag team match after having to sit through a repeat of Valpuccio and Shaw and then followed up that tag team match with like a 12 minute entrance from the Sandman mm. smoking a cigarette and holding a yeah, stick there are definitely places where <laughs> we could have trimmed we, we, we could have trimmed instead we could have yes. came halfway through his entrance it's, I'm gonna go with the audio 
Yeah. Because, like, there's a couple, like, obviously the very first thing between Todd and Fonzie, like, I really have, I, I got that Gordon gets suspended by Alfonso, but other than that, like, I have no clue. It's like we know really. that they have issues, yeah. but, so do you need to hear what they say? But. The whole yeah. Feinstein thing, I was just like, okay, cool, you're yeah. gonna get choke slammed. Yeah. But other than that, like, I have no clue why you're in the ring. Yep. Yeah, that's the only reason to get choke slammed. It's kind of a double edge sword where it's like, uh, Sandman, like, I'm, it's, I'm glad to not see a Rotten's match, but Sandman and, like, Axel Rotten, it's I mean, like, you, you it's like, well, mentioned... I guess Sandman needs an opponent, so that's good. And at least it was short, that's good. But, like, who's, who's, who thinks that he's actually going to beat him? But, I mean, that's well, just the You literally mentioned the, belt. the Broad Street Bully and Donnie Allen. Like, what did they do to deserve a tag team championship match? Yeah. Axel Rotten beat up his brother. For uh, six months. For six months? <laughs> I'm like, that's what gets you a world championship yeah. title? I'm like... It's like, oh, Cactus Jack's uh, away at the moment. We just did that. Um, there's no Shane Douglas. Who showed up tonight, guys? Uh, Axel doesn't have anything. Okay. Okay. Well, let's take the two Rock, whitest, sloppiest guys and put them in the ring for, for 12 minutes. So, I mean, that's... So, yeah, that was... I mean, the booking, the booking of the show wasn't based on that. It was more the the Ravens. They just, needed Sand, they just needed Sandman on the show because people like Sandman. Exactly. People like... Axel Rotten, too, so there you go. How about best performer of the night? It's Luna, and we all know it's Luna. It's Luna. It's Luna. Because the other match, we saw the four guys. We know they're great, but, like, it doesn't stick out because we didn't get to see the whole match, and it's not a match that's supposed to stick out. Otherwise, we would have any two of those guys against each other. Yeah. Yep. Anybody else? Luna. Luna, I think Stevie gets a gets a big thumbs up. He did. He worked really well with her. Yeah. How about most surprising? I guess I wasn't ready for the chair shot. Even though I've I was seen surprised it that there was cage matches, kind of in ECW. Yeah. For sure. Like Luna and Stevie, for them to have a cage match, it, it made sense because there's so many extra people going on, but and they somehow still get into the ring. But after the match is over, so at least they. Wait until the match Yeah, I liked over. that that match was clean, uh, and then it, nothing happened until the actual pin. And literally the only reason that the gangsters and Public Enemy had a cage match is because they continuously just go out into the crowd and brawl, so it kind of yeah, keeps it all the in the Yeah, the cops show up, so the idea is that, like, you know, that the cops don't show up, we'll actually see a finish. So we have... Which we got. We have basically two different ways of the reasons why we need a cage match for... And we both, under, we both understood them. They weren't... Yeah. They were, like... They weren't nonsensical. It wasn't like, we already have the cage, let's just put the gangsters and public enemy in there. It's like, oh no, we already... Like, there's a logic to that based on the last two times the gangsters showed up. So this is kind of like a blow-off to two, like... I don't even know if they were actual matches or just brawls. I don't remember if they were, like, on the card or if those guys just, like... Showed up. I think they may have had. A... Well, the first time they showed up, it was it was just a surprise that yeah. they showed up. But ever yeah. since then, it's, it's been a match. I mean, the, the, I mean, the, the last time was a now. match. I mean, and they just brawled all over the place. So either way, I appreciate the logic. And uh, one of the matches was good, and the other one was uh, for the crowd. And now for a look back even further into the history of wrestling. The Dusty Finish. The Ultimate Warrior had won the ultimate challenge to become the WWF Heavyweight Champion. But the United States was dealing with a crisis in Iraq, which brought forth a sympathizer as his new challenger at the Royal Rumble on January 19, 1991. Sergeant Slaughter, born 1948 in Detroit, Michigan, grew up wrestling and playing football in the state of Minnesota. At the age of 24, Slaughter would debut in the AWA, winning many regional titles in the 70s. By the time the early 80s had rolled around, the NWA had noticed his talent and he would become an NWA United States and World Tag Team Champion during his time there. By 1984, Sarge made his way to the WWF, where he would start his greatest rivalry of his career with Iron Sheik which would continue wherever the two men ended up, including back in the AWA, 
where Slaughter was a top challenger for the world title. Sarge had also been drafted into the G.I. Joes by this time, being the squad's drill instructor, even making an appearance in the G.I. Joe movie. In 1990, Sergeant Slaughter would head back to the WWF, but he would turn on the United States with his acceptance of the Russian Nikolai Volkov. After the real-world invasion of Kuwait by Iraq, Sarge would support the Iraqi cause, not for political reasons, but because he liked the brutality of the regime, while the United States had become soft and weak. For his accomplishments, Sergeant Slaughter would be inducted into the Professional and WWE Hall of Fames. After defeating the Ultimate Warrior to become the new WWF Heavyweight Champion, Sarge would desecrate an American flag as part of his victory celebration, which would bring a real American to be his first challenger. Next week, Bash at the Beach. You guys ready to go play in the sand? Hey, I got my... Um... What is it called? The, the like the blue sunblock you put on your nose? Zinc. Zinc. Yes. <laughs> I got my Tom Zinc and my Zubaz on, and we're gonna party in the sand. Yeah. Going to bash at that beach. Music from this week's show is Thunder Kiss '65. Five five. Yeah. By White Zombie, and the Gangsters won the match, so we play their theme song, "Murder Was the Case." By Snoop Doggy Dog. That's maybe what I haven't heard in a long time. Maybe the best Snoop Dogg uh, song because it's like the one that's, it's not as like it's meaner than some of the other ones. Like he says all kinds of gross and violent stuff in other songs, but they always have like a, the really poppy chorus. Where this one's a little bit more sinister and uh, doesn't get as much love as it should. Plus, it's based on some, some real life shit. Look it up, guys. Get your Wikipedia out. If you like this episode or any of our other ones, please go out there, rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast at. Do as Michael says. Five stars or no stars. Don't waste your time. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns. For fuck's sake, if you're in Philadelphia and you know what foods you like to eat, give me some ideas because I'm, I'm buying Oreos now. I'm running out of shit. <laughs> Oreos. Also, if you were on the uh, Philly Snacks website page... Send me my stuff. I've been waiting four weeks. But you can email us those at WrestlingHistoryX at gmail.com or find us on our Twitter at WrestlingHistoX. That's Wrestling H-I-S-T-O. We'll talk to you next week. They say I'm greedy, but I still want more. Cause my eyes want to journey some more. Really though. Check it out. I was laying down to sleep. I prayed to Lord for my soul to keep. If I should die.